0: once again, welcome along to the official Scottish Rugby podcast. This week, Rachel and I will look back at the Guinness Six Stations fixtures last weekend, have a look at under-20s as well. And then I'm going to be joined by um, Scotland under-20 head coach Kenny Murray uh, as we look back at his fixtures and forward to his new role within Scottish Rugby. And also joined by Gav Scott, Director of Rugby Development, uh, as this week sees the launch of the growth participation fund for clubs. Well, Rach, talk again this time you're in. (laughs) far off lands you're you're out in Dubai preparing for the the World Cup qualifier we'll we'll touch on that later on but big weekend of club and international rugby last weekend Um, Guinness Six Nations disappointing result in Cardiff wasn't it I I know you were travelling on on the Sunday but um, I assume you saw the the game on the Saturday
1: yeah we watched the game um, as a squad on the Saturday Uh, we were obviously in camp before we flew Heartbroken for the boys, but um I've no doubt they'll they'll bounce back. But um yeah, disappointing. I think the performance wasn't where where mm-hmm. they would have wanted it to be, especially off the back of, of the England game. But you know, we talked about it last week. Cardiff has always been, you know, a, a really tough place um to go and win rugby matches.
0: Yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? Like I, I think you're right about the performance. And I mean we both said last week at Gregor and the players all said as well after the England result which was fantastic the performance was can kind he of, could do better really was was what it felt like so I think that would be the most frustrating thing that the, the performance wasn't as good as a week before and it's still you know far from their best performance and it, I'll be frustrating it is hard playing away from home but I sometimes think we make too much or the, the media yeah and the public and everybody makes too much of the atmosphere in Cardiff It's that long ago. I was playing the last time we won in Cardiff, but I just think the performance was straight. Discipline probably let us down. I think the penalty count was 13-8 in the end. Most other things statistically were very close, but that was the one with the biggest discrepancy was was the penalty count. And a lot of those were second half when you yeah, we almost kind of couldn't get into the game.
1: To be honest, I think Wales looked so hungry. Like Mm. off the back of obviously a poor performance, poor result week one. I think you know, obviously they wanted to bounce back and, and we talked about the fact that we probably, we would see that because that's that's their character and they particularly around the breakdown, I thought they just looked really savvy, really hungry um, and they kind of got on the right side of the ref in that respect. I think they painted the pictures he wanted to see. I, I don't think he was necessarily completely consistent across the match and I'm not saying just either yeah. way. So I think like that, the breakdown killed us and I think, I thought it was quite interesting, like the last 5-10 minutes of the game, the way we Looked after our own ball because we were, you know, chasing.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, was how we probably should have looked after it the whole game, but it just took us that little bit long and that that moment to be really on the back foot and fighting for our lives in the last couple of minutes to 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 throw as many as we needed to and to have that speed and aggression, the breakdown that we needed. But yeah, like you say, I think the penalty count um, killed us and and some kind of uncharacteristic unforced errors as well, uh, which you just have days like that. You, yeah. you know it as well, mostly like. You have days where it just it doesn't click and, yeah. and uncharacteristic things happen and, and it's just unfortunate.
0: Yeah, because it started it started really well. The first phase was uh, until the the, the turnover that Wales got near the line was uh, a good turnover. Lee Williams. Really I'm yeah. not sure if he if he released the tackle before getting back in the ball, but it was a, yeah. a cracking effort from him. And even after that, to go from six 0 down to 11-6 up,
1: yeah,
0: I thought yeah, here we go. I, I didn't think Wales were particularly played particularly well.
1: No, I I I would agree, yeah.
0: But we were kind of almost in control of the game. And then, you know, I suppose it just, the stalemate, for me, kind of set in just after half time. there was two or three long periods of kicking. But then after about 45, 50 minutes, I just felt we we were maybe a wee bit too hesitant. And -hmm. and Wales grew in confidence, kept possession, and kept possession long enough to, to win those breakdown penalties or all those penalties in around the breakdown, so um, frustrating. I, I thought, you know, on the positive side, though, again, some cracking individual yeah. performance. Darcy's playing so well. Yeah, it?
1: I literally said at the t- at the end of the mm. game, I was like, Darcy's on for a player of the tournament if he carries mm. on like this. Like he's been, he's been absolutely outstanding.
0: It's so powerful. Those ones yeah. from standing started drag three or four Welsh bodies close to the line. They decent, yeah. great, good defenders. So just you know, sheer picture of hunger and desire and power and technique, but. I thought Darcy, I thought Matty Ferguson was playing really well before he got injured as oh, well. I
1: know. I don't uh, yeah, absolutely gutted for him because obviously off the back of of a pretty special week last week and it's it's always the way, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. the highest highs to the lowest lows. But I really hope he's all right. Um he, he obviously walked off the pitch, which mm-hmm. is is promising from that point of view. But yeah, I thought he was he looked he looked as sharp as he did the week before and and really hungry for for ball and, and hitting things hard like he always does. He's,
0: he's so dynamic, Matty. It's good the way mm-hmm. can he can pops up either from set piece you use them short line out to use them off the mm-hmm. base of scrum you use them certainly like, in kick receipt and counter attack and stuff so it's a shame to see him go and of course Hamish and, and Scooy as well Peter and I thought played really well and made yeah. a bit of a dent and an impact and I don't know it's something you've ever done but coming back onto the field after being replaced must be pretty difficult. Yeah but, I've um, had to do it, I've had to do it once
1: it? For, um, for an HIA and it was quite early on when in my kind of playing career and I went to to number 8 which I'd never done either <laughs> so I picked off the base of the scrum with like a few minutes to go and really didn't know what the hell I was doing so I just got my head down and carried but um, no it's a funny mindset that but I thought he made he made a real impact when he came back on to be fair mm-hmm. is he carried so well throughout the whole game put in some really dominant collisions in defence as well and he set a tone that you mm-hmm. would hope people would follow he was very good, one of the best I've seen him play I would say
0: disappointing result obviously but it's France next Obviously, their game against Ireland was just on a different level. Like you, I know you, you probably didn't see that. You said it was just the, the Scotland game you saw, but the intensity and the physicality in that game was just off the charts. It, it's going to be something special next, next weekend at BT Moneyfield because although France are what they are and they are world-class, I actually think Scotland enjoy playing against France yeah. in terms of, yeah. in some ways, it's the, the brutality around the contact and the physicality is way up there, but they actually give you space to play as well. Yeah, and sometimes I think it, it can be suited So, um, and the focus obviously for, for the, the players and the coaches looks, looks to France which will be a massive challenge but one that well, traditionally we've won the last two games certainly the last game at home the last game away last year Yeah. so in terms of shape and structure and openings into the game hopefully there'll be a few but we're going to have to be right at the top of the performance stake on them
1: I've no doubt that, that there'll be a massive bounce back from the weekend and yeah I'm excited to see it like you say I think it'll be some contest
0: and you're back the, on that day, is that right? Is that back? Yeah, I
1: believe we fly in that morning so hopefully catch the game if, if everything goes to plan.
0: The under-20s played, we're going to speak to Kenny Murray uh, a little bit later on, I we have a chat with Kenny. Yeah. Almost similar in some ways to the week before against England where ahead in the game competitive, combative and then just kind of fell away towards the end of the match with some uh, a bit of fatigue, a bit of, you know, poor decision making in, in their own third, but uh, we'll see what Kenny's taking it. But you, you said you watched that on, on Friday night as well. What, what yeah, did you, similar yeah?
1: story, I thought, in terms of the breakdown. Like, the Welsh back row, I, I know the commentators alluded to it, but they, they were just so, so quick over ball. Um, they kind of kind of stifled any pressure or possession mm. that we had pretty quickly, particularly in that second half as we started to tire. But, yeah, it's still, for me, really promising. Like, the performance and, like, the individual performances um, are definitely there. And you've got, like I said before, a really young team there to go out and play like that after one game together, really yeah. won a competitive game together and, and put two decent performances together week on week is, is pro- promising. They'll be disappointed not to get a result, particularly having come so close with England the week before. But, you know, it's, it's part of their journey, I guess, to, to where they're trying to get to. And, and yeah, like, like I say, some some good standout forms or performances again.
0: You see that, see that point, Rachel, about the breakdown? It, it, it's important and it's good because I, I suppose... Are you beating at the breakdown because technically the opposition are better or they're more aggressive or they're harder or they're quite often is they're quicker? Or are we attacking where the opposition expect you to attack? So sometimes I think games fall into trends and, mm-hmm. and almost as if you, as a spectator, you kind of know where the, the next attack's going to end up. Can you change your shape or, or just try and shift the point of attack to, to keep the defence on their toes?
1: Yeah, potentially. I, th- I think it's a mixture of things for me. I think. It's something i get really frustrated with in terms of officiating is the difference between like the tackle releasing mm-hmm. and and not being released and also if that assist tackler is is in the tackle or not so they have me, to they have to release as well they, they have to release as well so for me in, in the game at the minute there's a very fine line between whether that assist is releasing or not so mm-hmm. teams who are savvy with that and play that well are being quite successful and, and getting a lot of joy from it and um, so that's one thing but i think also teams who are savvy around which phase that they contest off of is, is really important mm-hmm. as well because you'll know off the first kind of three phases off um, any set piece, teams know exactly what they're doing and they know exactly who's going to those breakdowns so to contest over those first kind of three phases, you're unlikely to, to get much joy other than just to slow the ball down. So I guess, yeah, trying to try
0: and shift it, let, like
1: yeah, take shift
0: the ball to where the defence yeah, don't assume it's going yeah. or, or I expect the other trigger as well, reaches. For you as a defender, or as you as a poacher or a jackaler, it's how dominant that first contact is. That's a window to get in. If it's not, you probably don't risk it, do you? You jump back into the shape
1: and get ready for the next one. Yeah. And for me as well, with that, it's, that comes with experience of playing with your team. So yeah. if you know that you've got someone inside you who is a real low chop tackler, so in that respect, they're not, they might not get them flying backwards, but they're going to get them to ground really quickly, mm-hmm. then and you probably won't need to go in as an assist there and you can go straight on ball. Whereas yeah. if you know you've got someone who maybe isn't as effective a chop tackler and you might need to go in and assist, then you can't go on ball straight away. So I guess we have touched on like that. The Scotland um, under 20s not being together that long. Yeah. Something that you build with playing with a team as to, you know, what kind of players have you got on your team? Who's who? Yeah. How do they tackle? What kind of tackles do they make? How do the players generally go to the floor and how does the ball look? Off the back of that, and and that gives you your cues as as a as a jackler, I think, when to go in.
0: Yeah, it's uh yeah. I'm I'm just thinking it as you're saying that it's like almost the game of the weekend. Certainly, go back to the 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 men's game. It's different from the week before because I think England actually put more bodies in the backfield, yeah, and, and cover the backfield spaces. Wales tend not to, and I'm thinking ahead to France and they traditionally cover the backfield reasonably well. They maybe changed a yes. wee bit now under Sean Edwards, but but that's where sometimes you can win the breakdown battle just with sense rather than brutality in terms of where you attack and where yeah. you move it. But it is easier against a team who who do tend to be a bit more passive or sit off a little bit in that front field to cover the, the backfield to get quicker ball. But you not know, that like the coaches and the players. were looking at that the whole time. Clubs were in action or the, the pro teams were in action. On, yeah, on you, were, well.
1: you were working both the games, I believe. I was,
0: uh, yeah, we, uh, I was through at Scottson. So um, covered that game and then we, we are can you, Previewing and reviewing the, the Edinburgh game over in, in Leinster as well, which was disappointing twenty six uh, points to seven defeat for for Mike Blair's side. Leinster are so strong, you know, especially well all the time, but especially during international windows where they're, yeah. they're they're hit pretty hard with international withdrawals. But they've got you know so pretty good, pretty good depth there. Yeah, and Edinburgh started both halves really well, like really well, caused all sorts of chaos, had utter domination for. The first 10 15 minutes of both halves, but couldn't get the points on the board. They're away again, Edmund. They're away in Munster this weekend. That's another big match for, for Edmund. Three away games in a row with Ospreys before and then Leinster and Munster. I was up as well. When yep. um, 13 win. 11, yeah. it was. It, it was genuinely nothing in it. Like it was so, yeah. so even. Poor conditions, wet, windy. Uh, almost the whole game was played in the middle third. Like there was very little kind of attack or defence that would determine the flow of the game. It was just yeah. so even. Not as niggly as usual. Usually these games, not? the Glasgow months, yeah, we we're kind of talking up, saying there's, <laughs> there's always a bit of venom. But it, it was there, but it wasn't as evident as maybe years gone by. Yeah. But ultimately, the match winner was uh, Scotty Cummins. He's charged in and tried. Oh. Have you see the finish? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I saw it. Uh, to be fair, actually, I, I did see a bit of that game. No, it was brilliant and great to see. Um it's a
0: long way down to pick that up at Yeah, full speed, <laughs> No, the
1: finish was brilliant. The finish <laughs> was absolutely brilliant, but he looked he looked taller than ever when he was doing it as well. I, like when I rewatched that, I was like, he looks about ten foot tall, but uh that no, no, brilliant to to see him on the score sheet.
0: And he played well. Yes,
1: he did. It was man of the match, wasn't he?
0: Man of the match, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Was, uh, it was good well, he's, it a, become... he's a
1: brilliant player when he's when he's yeah. firing and he's absolutely brilliant, yeah.
0: No, I did well. So uh Glasgow at home again this weekend, um, Treviso at home, so um, good luck to to both the pro teams back in URC action this weekend. I'm delighted now to be joined by um, Scotland Under-20s head coach and head of player transition recently of uh, Glasgow Warriors defence coach, a well-known face around Scottish rugby, Kenny Murray. How are you, Kenny?
2: Good, Mossy. How are you? How are you
0: going on? Uh, We're uh, we're picking the bones through uh, uh, bits and pieces of the weekend, so... Uh, I suppose before we look into certainly your game in the under-20s and maybe touch on the, the national game as well, you've got a new role with Scottish rugby after seven or eight years with Glasgow Warriors. What's, um, I suppose just for, for the listeners, what's the, I suppose, the remit or, or the, the importance and, and significance of your new role? What, what's, uh, what does it hold?
2: Yeah, yeah. so this is a sort of new role within Scottish rugby. They've obviously been a sort of strategic review, got strategic objectives that we're focusing on now. Um, and my role really is looking at providing a strategic leadership to the the systems and structures we've got in place that help bring through the next group of young players into our, our high performance environments. So and as part of that role, um it's also head coach of the Scotland under 20s. So it's great in a sense that um get an opportunity to, to lead that coaching programme, but also have that sort of um leadership role in terms of developing the, the programmes and processes for the young players coming through.
0: So important, isn't it? I know everybody says it and everybody pays attention to it, but it's utterly vital, isn't it? That that transition, that progress through the the club and the school game and the domestic game to you know fuel the the professional game in Scotland. What what are kind of the key elements you look for in individuals? I know it'll there's almost everything, but what in your mind is that a kind of keen rugby student, somebody who's been involved in club massive successes. Uh, and club land, um, a huge amount of involvement and success in the professional era as well. What, what things would you can kind of go to, to to look for first in young players?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously differs depending on the kind of player you've got, but I think the big thing for me is um, talent potential. Mm. I know we talk a lot about talent development, but it's looking at the talent potential of the individuals you've got um, already in this group. You know, I can see that with, with some of our guys. Um, I think Rhys Tate, for example, shows some real good talent potential, physicalities, aggression in the games. So I think that, that's one thing for me. Then I think about uh, a player's capacity to develop mm-hmm. as well, you know, how much they can take on board, how quickly they can process information, how quickly they can apply that to, you know, whether that's training or into games. I think I think that's also really important. But then I also think about some of the players we've had at Glasgow over the years who you know, some some folk may have felt, you know, they weren't the most talented, but their hard work, their effort, mm-hmm. their commitment, their desire to get better day by day is something that's really pushed them through. And I think that's always a big learning for our young players that, you know, hard work can sometimes overcome talent at times. Our sort of mindset and our theme for the camp this year is about winning every day. You know, we talk about what does winning every day look like for us as a group. So... How do we get better every day? You know, on the field, off the field, um, in our rugby sessions. um, How we do our analysis, how we review, how we look after ourselves. So that's a big part about you know how we develop these boys at under twenties level.
0: Quite often, it's assumed that this is a young person's game, and you have to be young to come in and and spotted right away. But you'll be wise enough to realise it's not just the youngsters. There's there's late developers out there who, given an opportunity, a different environment, can come through as well. So kind of a rough age band, it could be from the the lads you're working from probably 16s right up to the guys who are over 20 playing in the domestic leagues as well.
2: Yeah, that's right. I suppose my remit as I move forward, the initial will be sort of 18s and over. Um, John Fletcher obviously has the role of um, looking at that programme up until under 18 level. But I think it's a really important point for us in Scottish rugby that, we don't want to write players off if they've not maybe made it an, an academy by 18 or 19. That doesn't mean to say a player isn't going to come through and become a you know a, a pro rugby player. Players have to come into environments. You know, I suppose you look at Glasgow, um, Johnny Matthews. I mean, Johnny Matthews has come into Glasgow's environment over the last couple of years, um, as a player who maybe wasn't seen as a, a young player, but now he's you know he's played for Glasgow professional rugby. And again, you know, he's been in that environment, he's developing every day. Um, and he become an asset to Glasgow over the next few years. And I think when you look back in Scotland traditionally, you know, Scotland has traditionally brought players through later. I remember I am not sure the exact exact age. I remember back in the day, guys like Finlay Calder. I think guys like that uh, late caps, they, yeah. they, they they were late caps. So I think, you know, in terms of keeping all our, our streams open for producing professional and international rugby players we need to make sure we give every every player the opportunity.
0: Not to reminisce but when I was playing Age Good stuff I were under twenties effectively as it is now was under twenty one tournament. And I think that gave us an edge yeah. there that, that extra year, maybe because we were, you know, slow to develop or, or whatever. But even that extra year can make a big difference. So it's great to know that anybody playing out and about with the, the ambitions and the desire and the attitude to to improve and um and, and get up the ladder the door certainly on the close. The under twenties campaign at the moment, obviously opening day defeat to, to England and, and then defeat against Wales last weekend and a lot of positives, a lot of, um, we've spoken about it for the last couple of weeks, a lot of positives in terms of the players haven't really been exposed, primarily due to COVID over the last couple of years of, of international rugby or, or a, an international experience um, or even a professional experience. So they're, they're, they're learning on the job to some degree, but similarities from from week one to week two were that real desire, that heart to stay in the game, but then maybe falling off a little bit in the last 20 minutes. Would that, would that be fair?
2: Yeah, I think that's a, a fair assessment of the game. I think it's quite frustrating for certainly for us as coaches to, to see that, you know, both games were winning at half time. Um, both games we came out after half time and scored. Um, mm-hmm. At the weekend there against Wales, we got that penalty to take us 10 nil ahead. But I suppose it's maybe a microcosm of where, that, where we are at the moment that we maybe haven't played enough rugby individually or as a group that, you know, when we get beyond that 60, 65 minutes, we we're probably have emptied the tank a little bit. I think at the weekend, were a couple of things for me. You know, in 67 minutes, we were still ahead in that game. So there's real learning for us about how we manage to see a game out. Um, as you and I were discussing earlier, how we manage our exits need to be better. And that's maybe for some of the guys, maybe a, a part of the development that what we've got to really focus on in terms of the rugby, um, how they deal with certain scenarios and situations in the game. Because, you know, probably two exits in that game in the last 12 minutes really hurt us. Can that be done outside game time? Like in terms of
0: getting access to players through the week or academy players or club players coming in,
2: or is that more a learning that has to be done in the heat at the moment? Yeah, I think it can be blended, more city bonus. I think it's something you you want to try and get guys in scenarios as much as you can. So we've already spoken about that as coaches, how do we make sure we replicate those pressure scenarios as much as we can within the training environment, so we've looked at that, um, but I think even for guys coming through, the teens group as well, like working closely with the, with Fletch and the academy coaches coming through, and, you know, exits effectively are, you know, people talk about third set pieces, Like exits are so, so important in the game, and I know even looking at speaking to national coaches there, they were saying a couple of the exits, they felt they could have been better at the weekend. So it's mm-hmm. such an important part of the game that I think it's got to be done now. You know, as the kids are coming, some players are coming through into the 18s um, and then definitely into the 20s. Game understanding, I think, really important. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your nines and tens, you know, understanding, you know, how to exit in certain situations. Uh, one example from the weekend was about weather. So mm-hmm. in the first half we had a, a bit of a wind um, advantage, and the second half we played against the wind. So, you know, within our environment we've got our storm pattern, which other teams will use as well. Which is how you deal with playing mm-hmm. against rain or wind. And then what does that mean for you as a nine and a ten? How do you how do you react to that? How do you change how you kick depending on what you've got in front of you? So, this is all part of the learning. And a lot of the young yeah. players have they haven't done that kind of stuff yet. So. There's a wee bit of learning on the job.
0: Like you have to prioritise what the main things are to get right initially and then keep adding on and adding on and adding on to get closer to that complete performance. So there's, there is a huge amount to learn. It's great to know that the players are developing and, and, um, and picking up all that. But what surprised you in, in the good sense? What have you been really impressed by in, in the opening two weekends?
2: I think the first thing for me that the boys, how they've applied themselves and how they've improved. Even already, like, We've got some um, core sort of drills and games that we are really driving to try and develop the game we want to play. So already over the last few weeks, I've seen a real improvement in some of those areas. Um, how we, you know, counter attack, turnover attack, um, even just like a speak to contact and stuff like that. So what that tells me from the group is that the group to learn and they improve. So I'm really pleased with that. The other thing for me is physically how we're fronted up. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly in the first sixty minutes of those games, I mm-hmm. um, really proud of that that first half against England. In particular, yeah. I felt against a, a sort of much bigger English team across the park. I thought some of our physicality in there was excellent, and even against Wales at the weekend, you know, for the first sixty minutes, we were we were pretty robust physically. So that that's really um, pleased me as well. And, and I suppose even back to that England game, we we scored four tries and had three mm-hmm. tries chopped off. So. You know, we, we did create chances, probably didn't seize our opportunities as much as we could have in that, that England game, and that was one of our reflections, and that probably was a little bit at the weekend as well, if I was being honest more, so we, we created some chances in the first half and early in the second half, but we, we didn't really seize mm-hmm. the opportunities, so that's a, a real focus for us, and that's part of our winning template about how we seize those opportunities more consistently.
0: Yeah, it's sometimes a harder bit, isn't it? It's like the old football adage, the hardest things to put the ball in the net, you can get a lot... Right, but you yeah. know, defense attitude, aggression, hardness, physicality. But you know that in defense, it's a system that you go to, and you're brave, and you can, you have to you know stick in it. But sometimes that attacking edge is really difficult because you have to be creative, you have to be more instinctive. That's yeah. it is a difficult thing to come over. I, I I totally agree with that first half, especially against England. But even more so than what you're saying in terms of physically dealing, I think psychologically it had a massive effect on England because it looked to me as if they were going to come and uh, quite often just run really hard onto the ball and they were hit time and time again and fell yeah. behind and, and then yeah. got back in the game fell behind again and it was, I think psychologically it was really impressive from from the, the youngsters in the blue shirts just to, to stand up to that because it's not, it's not an
2: easy thing to do. No, I mean, again, our theme for that game was about going toe-to-toe so we spoke about that all week and showed some videos about how we go toe-to-toe and, and what that looked like and what that would look like for us. So, the boys really bought into that. Um, and then again, I felt, you know, some of the physicality, as you said, was great. So again, we just, we just got to build on that and we've got to be more consistent. We can't be doing that for 40 minutes or 50 minutes. We've got to be doing that for 80 minutes.
0: And France next, uh, obviously next weekend, they were 1-1, one, 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 lost one. Um, beat Elian open round and just lost at home to Ireland who we're, were always quality, age good, just by a single point of the weekend. Another yeah. game that maybe reflected the, the senior game as well. They... Um, The French are always a handful, but they'll allow you to play as well. That They do create, well, I always think create opportunities for opposition. So there'll be a lot of excitement heading into the French game next weekend.
2: Yeah, obviously we're looking forward to it. Um, Again, we hopefully get a few more guys coming back in that weren't available last week, which will be good for us and and help boost the side a bit. Pad, a look at that first France game that they played. So again, they're... Yeah, they're always a decent side. They've got a big group of forwards, as you would imagine. They've got some real uh, creativity out in the backs. But I think with France, you've got to match them physically again, similar mm-hmm. to England, um, and then have a go at them. There's no point sitting back and trying to play a Contain. containment game against yeah, yeah. them. You've got to really play. And Again, i was saying that to the boys next week. You know, the last time we played at home, we, we scored four tries and had three, as I said, chopped off. So... Mm-hmm. We've got to have that mindset again. We want to go and express ourselves and and have a go against them. But yeah, I expect a real physical game against them. It's it's gonna be it's gonna to be tough.
0: And that's at the damn health um on the Friday night, isn't it? It will kick kickoff again. So that the, the yeah. support was excellent against England, wasn't it? So um you'll be urging a few more to, to come along and, and roll the lads on.
2: Yeah, and I think that's it's great for the boys. You know, at the weekend there down in Wales, you know, Wales is a good crowd and it, it does make a difference for them. And it's interesting, though, you mentioned that, even in that France game that I watched, the first game France played, their crowd was unbelievable. I think they had about, you know, six or seven thousand people in the stadium watching the game. So it's it's a big one. It's one thing, actually, the last few
0: years, maybe it's always happened, but I've been aware over the last few years, a lot of the French travelling supporters who go to the senior game on the Saturday will come, they'll... Or, you know, to the under 20s, whether it's been at Netherdale in the years gone by, it's been at Broadwood, there's always mm. a decent contingent. So they might even bring the band, who knows? you You've been noisy. All right. Um Well, we'll let you get back, Kenny. As I said, it's, uh, it's great to touch base. I know we'll probably talk more in the future, especially around your, your wider role, but we'll, we'll let you get back um, and, and plotting the, sort of the way forward for the, the France game uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So thanks once again.
2: That's no, no, great, more Good to speak to you, and I'll see you soon.
0: Thanks, Kenny. Well, delighted to be welcomed now by uh, the director of rugby development, Gav Scott. Gav, how are you? Good to see you again.
2: I'm
3: good, thanks. Yeah, yeah, nice to nice to be back on Chris. Good to hear from you.
0: How was the uh, How was the weekend? Uh, all those years, you would travel down to Cardiff. I assume you did. You watch again for more. Did you Did you go down to Cardiff for the weekend? No, I was
3: I was down in Cardiff. One of the the great things about being down in Cardiff at the weekend was to see. A load of Scottish people down in kilts enjoying yeah. a, a great event that the Six Nations is, and and for them it to feel like it did a couple of years ago, and that and to, and to really understand that we've we've had a couple of years where we felt that we weren't sure if that was going to come back, and mm. and it was just really good to see all these people be able to go down and and enjoy themselves and as much as it was a frustrating game to watch i think for everyone um and i'm sure frustrating for the players that like this week and last, last week it shows you the power of the six nations they are yeah. such big games are such stressful events for everyone <laughs> um in a in a way that uh you can't help yourself going back aren't they so um uh, you know it was a it was a tough game it was a game that we we lost by by just a a few points again, but yeah, great a great event to be at, and uh, and it is a it is a pleasure to be able to go back to these things with a full a full stadium again. They are just massive events, and mm. they bring people
0: together. And just as you were saying that, I suppose in part of your, well, your 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 role now, are there still links between clubs like Welsh clubs and Scottish clubs? Do they still can you maybe try and play a game if you know COVID allows? But even you reciprocate every couple of years back up and down. Does that Can your link still exist? Yeah, I, I think there is. I
3: mean, we, we obviously, I know that we've sent out reminders in the, during the course of this season to clubs about, remember if you have a, a team that's coming up to play, uh, you know, if you need to get dispensation for a team to play here uh-huh. um, and vice versa. And I think it happens a lot. It happens out with Six Nations as well, where you get both Welsh and English um, and Irish and our teams in school holidays, et cetera, traveling. And it's uh it is one of the great things about our sport that we do that with with children and adults, take them somewhere a little bit out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. and allow them to see a, a bit a different bit of the world, but also play against people who are who are similar to them as well and, and grow everyone's experience. It's a great thing to be able to do. But yeah, and I have so no many doubt, memories. Yeah like,
0: there must be so many players and coaches I, I, as kids or as dads or you know club teams and school teams, you know, playing those can the opposition fixtures on international weekend is great to know that that probably still yeah. goes
3: on. And it's a, and I, I know it's a, a, it'll be almost Monday this week that a lot of people will have started again saving for the two year journey <laughs> to, to be able to go again next time. And I it, thought it, you
0: were going it, to say would have taken the Monday off
3: <laughs> quite possibly, but um, but that's certainly the, the thing I remember was that people would start the savings account again so you could go to the, the next one in a couple of years' time and keep that tradition going. Yeah, as I say, it's all
0: part of the the great sport revolving. But um, this week in Scottish rugby sees the a launch of the the Growth Participation Fund or the the availability of the Growth Participation Fund uh, sent out. Can you can you tell us a bit more details around that? It's obviously designed to support clubs and uh, over the last couple of years. But what what, uh, what more can you tell us on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, first, it's great to be able to provide that support to the clubs. It's um it's a million pounds over um per year for five years. So. No. It has a It's a sustainable level of investment that we're going to get into the clubs um, established through that Scottish Government funding that was announced um, in last April. It's a 50-50 split is how we're going to do it between the people element and the capital project element, if you like. So yeah. per year, there'll be half a million pounds that will be available in two two lots for a couple of clubs to get a 250,000 each to be able to invest in big infrastructure projects that they're doing with their clubs so that'll be 10 over the course of that five years and then it's purposely 50 50 like we know that in order to keep growing the game in Scotland we need to be purposeful about helping with those facilities some of them were built a long time ago and need refreshed but we can't do that without people and we need the people to be to be fully supported as well. So the the people element of it is split into into three different areas. Improving development environments is one, which is about the club and creating and developing um, environments, whether it be through volunteers or through player um, progression and transition points, and to help harness more and better volunteers um, um, as much as we can in one area. Women's and Girls Fund is another one to help support the development of female volunteers and coaches and match officials or those involved in delivering the women's game and the third one is that development of state school rugby and then um, and the aim re- there is really just to help create opportunities for boys and girls in those state school environments to to participate um, and, and have models where we can build that into the school system like some schools are further on than others some are consolidated rugby schools some are just trying it out others um maybe want to think about joining a league or, or a conference so uh, these three areas are, are kind of the people areas we're looking at
0: that's yeah, good that's good it's good to know that because it's uh sometimes uh, the facilities are the things that you know forefront your mind because you can see them the physical but that, that you need as you say that investment in people as well to make it all happen to bring it all together and it's good that it's 50 50 because there's they're both as important as each other so it's good to know that in five years it's a it's a big commitment it's a long commitment as well so it's uh hopefully help us make a difference in the future going forward how do um how do clubs apply is it is it through the scottish rugby website is it yes yes yeah, it, <laughs> it is
3: there's a support for clubs section on the scottish rugby web, website so they can uh they can contact the regional managers, who they should know well um, by now as well, for more for more information and guidance. But yeah, the the websites where the application form will be will be based. And and yeah, and to touch on your point there, like we know, um, there has been pockets of some growth. Like we've seen some strong growth in in some areas. But one thing that we really recognise going forward is that we know that every club is different and fa- faces their own unique yeah. challenges. Their own uh, they're in their own community, and it's vital we continue to provide suitable kind of financial and practical solutions for them that we can use to help support them while they're developing rugby like the club's relationship with their communities is the is the biggest thing that we need to focus on and and working with whether it be a club and schools in their area or the local authority or um or, or other people that um where they are like that's that's the thing that will help sustain our clubs into the future and that that comes through building relationships, doesn't it?
0: With the uh, you know the managers in the area, the, the people in the area, the clubs in the area. That's uh, it's back to that people point again, isn't
3: it? Yeah, absolutely. And look and from our end as a, as a governing body, that's what we are. We're here to help to do. Like we are here to help clubs be the heart of their communities and and um and demonstrate rugby's values and how it can support um wider society um, through our game, and how we can find a place in the world that helps you know Scotland be a, a thriving and vibrant place. Like, that's what we are we're here to do. Um, and, um, and that's certainly what this growth and participation fund is about. Like it's about how we keep um, bringing ourselves out of the pandemic and looking to the future of having a really sustainable and, and vibrant sport. And, and clubs can apply now. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. And that's uh,
0: absolutely right to, to look ahead and plan ahead for the future. Absolutely. But for the here and now, you know, obviously it is a here and now so that the clubs can apply, but on the field at the moment, what, uh, between now and the end of the season, what, what else can we look forward to? What's happening? And uh, look, there's uh, loads know, of
3: things. schools and youth finals are coming yeah. up, which um, I know we've we've all seen the progression through se- uh, into semis and some and finals for the other. But also look like, at beyond that, there's regional cups and friendlies for those who small number who aren't lucky enough to be involved in the finals. So there's loads of rugby still to be played. And the, there's the Seda Beanie Cup starting um, soon for them in the women's game, so they're starting their part, the next part of their season. Scottish Rugby Schools Week is at the end of March, um, supported again um, by Saltire Energy, which is really good. And that's and is that, uh, that's in person this year, isn't it? It's a big change from it from is, last yeah. Year. So yeah. So we, yeah. So at the start of this season, we had a Schools Week, which we hope to be in person, and we hope to do a lot again. And in a tiered nature, where we could go into schools who maybe hadn't tried rugby or hadn't done much rugby and provide support, whether in terms of coaching advice or support to teachers and, and information packs, and um, weren't really able to do that um, terribly well because of the nature of the pandemic. So hopefully in March, we will be able to do a lot more in person and we'll be able to build on... Um, on the success we had early in the year, I think we had 16,000 pupils involved um, in September. So we'd like to grow that and for that to be a basis of how we start to energize our, our state school strategy and the state school um, work we're doing through growth and participation and kind of bring it all together next year in a, in a focus program that allows us to develop each school at the level they're at. We've got community recognition awards coming yeah. up in March. Yeah. And and the, and the culmination of the men's leagues as well, um, which I think we've reached the threshold that we yeah. can call them complete, but the, the view is that we want to finish them properly. So we get, um, we get all the games played, promotion and relegation will take place and uh, and we can talk to the clubs about what's happening next. So loads of rugby still to come. And of course, with that, couldn't miss it, seven season starts. Yes. And Are you getting up- the boots on, Gav? Will the Boots come out in the seven season? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure about sevens, to be honest. I did see a little message on, on one of my messaging things there about a third scheme that sounds like it's coming up again. I'll have to decide whether or not I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be putting myself forward for. <laughs> I don't
0: hear, sound
3: okay, totally convinced. I know. I did hear it when we last played. We played, I played in a great game before Christmas, which was the first time for about five years or maybe six years, to celebrate the 50th anniversary um, of a rugby club. And um it was great. And it was it was more seeing the stories of people pulling their boots out of the cupboard and finding that the newspaper that was stuffed in their <laughs> boots was eighteen years old because that was when the boots went in the cupboard. So Ah, good, good. Oh well, good
0: luck with that if it comes along, but um good luck for the rest of the season to all the the, the clubs and schools and boys and girls and men and women who who's um who've got the well, the seasons to complete, the season to continue, and as I say, thanks for the for the time. It's great to hear about the growth participation fund, and it's brilliant that that's going to be available, and you know, over the five years for 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 the clubs to 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 use, to utilise, and ultimately, as you say, just really help the future of the
3: game in Scotland. Thanks very much. Yeah, and I, I'd like to give my personal thanks as well to. One the Scottish Government for providing the funding that's allowing us to do this, which is fantastic. Two to my department who have worked really hard at pulling it together. So we've got a a good vehicle that allows clubs to claim the money. And and thirdly, to and most importantly, the volunteers of the clubs who are the ones who will drive the game forward in Scotland. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to come on the podcast.
0: Brilliant. Thanks,
3: Gav. Speak soon. Cheers, Chris.
0: Thank you once again for listening to the official Scottish Rugby podcast. Thanks to Gav. Uh, and to Kenny for their time uh, and to Rachel over in Dubai. Next week, we'll be focusing on Rachel and the team as they build forward to the, uh, the World Cup qualification fixture and we'll also look ahead to the under-20s games uh, against France and, of course, against Six Nations biggie at BT Murrayfield on the Saturdays.